You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. I wish I could break oh, man. Welcome back. Kyle Trentag here, Signal to Noise podcast. <laughs> I definitely don't have the voice for this. I, li- I listen to you dudes and I'm like, wow, man. You're, you're not going to be able to get that roller skate rink if you can't hit the post, man. Come on. Yeah, man. I know. Post, post. I'm, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm just going to play the, the jams. Couple Chris, skate, couple skate. <laughs> Chris Leonard, Michael Lawrence. Tonight, uh, we're going to have a heavy hitting show. We had some really good response on our Facebook about it. A lot of emails came in, a lot of... I think we stirred the pot, gentlemen. We got Samantha Potter and Willis Snow with us tonight to talk about. What's up, ladies? Got the ladies on the show. Money, 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 money. So this is this is a this is a pretty serious topic. It's a very important one. It's a very timely one when we're talking about people starting to get back to work. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think the elephant in the room here is that. How much money do you make on the Sound Girls podcast? Because we need that money. That's what this. Yeah. Is. That's why we brought. Oh, never mind. They want a collab. They want a collab. The other elephant yeah, in the room. I don't think it's a lot. They want a collab. I, I saw get that paid in, in love, man. So, uh, if if there are like well baked chocolate chip cookies, I'm all over it. But you know, uh, here's the thing. You know, companies. A lot of companies can't afford pre-COVID pricing for their shows because clients aren't aren't paying as much for the shows. But also, you know, if you've been out of work for nine months, should you be taking a gig for half your normal rate? Is that fair? So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. And yeah. so we're going to just have a conversation and, and touch on some of these. Topics. Hit them with the disclaimer too. Hit them with the yeah, disclaimer. Well, so the, right the first, yeah. So the first disclaimer I want to do is I, I would like a majority of this conversation to be in the context of pre-COVID before we talk about post-COVID because we have to establish you know, what things were before, before we talk about where things possibly might go. That'd be one thing. The other thing is that, you know, we are obviously not um, professionals in the money world. Um, and so do not, don't Tell take our, I mean, you know, these are personal opinions on everything that we've experienced, but not represent any of the companies that we either work for, represent and so forth. These are pure personal opinions and we're going to get things wrong or skew things get over it uh email all your complaints to kyle at signal number two noise at podcast <laughs> gmail.com hey that is, I, that is, perfect wait, wait so, you. so you're telling me i shouldn't have dumped my life savings into Turnside investments llc that was a mistake <laughs> the skating rink will be opening in another month gentlemen <laughs> that's all i gotta say it's, it's own um we, uh, did, we did get the highest amount of emails from a from a question so i got I think three or four, Chris, you got a few. So we definitely stirred the pot with some people. I think there's some, we, we need to explode this and break it down into like, Hey man, what are you doing? What's your experience? What you need to ask for if you're 1099, what to ask for, you know, uh, health insurance. Yeah. I also say this this is not what this is not going to be. This is not going to be, Hey, here's our five tips on how to save money or how to go your best rate. This is a conversation of our pop-up ad though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These are our, this is a conversation about our experiences and it's going to be all over the place. So don't expect walking away with like the five tips on how to do these things. So this is your October horoscope is what you're saying. We're not, we're not (laughs) cracked.com here. Uh, Oh, I miss cracked. It's it's Tell me that was such a good website too. Like, Like so well researched and everything. Here's here's where I want to start. Uh, oh no! 
freelance versus salaried employee. Yes. Um, the, you know, it's tough to make a comparison for, yeah, just yes. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. No, uh, if you have, you know, whatever your rate is, a lot of people say, well, I want to be freelance because I don't have all those things taken out of my paycheck and I can get get a higher dollar amount. But, you know, the things were taken out of your paycheck, a lot of that was, you know, stuff that you're going to want to want to have taken care of. You're going to want to look at workers' comp. You're going to look at health insurance. You're going to look at retirement. So taxes. if you're going, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, taxes. You know, Unemployment insurance. Buy? Yep. So so it's a question of do you want someone else to manage that for you? If you're going to go freelance, you need to, you need to have an eye on all of those things. And you can't just, that's not all money that goes right into your pocket. You know, you got to be a little, uh, take a, the long plan with that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think the I talked to a lot of people about this um, since you know I've I've always worked full time uh, at you know at at a company I've done a few like side projects but I've always been full time yet I hire a lot of freelancers and or I've had employees go for you know freelance so I, I've been through a lot of these conversations and talked about a lot of the pros and cons as maybe sometimes freelancers are coming to come get a full time job and. I think before there's even the money conversation, um, I think the first and foremost reasons of choosing freelance uh, versus full-time are a couple things. One, um, how well can you um, uh, manage getting getting your own work, right? Being responsible for getting your own your own work. If you're freelance, like you, you, you are your own company, like you have to hustle. Whereas if you're a full-timer, in theory, you have sales or PMs or whatever who are selling the stuff for you and just kind of handing it to you for lack of a better term. So, you know, some people are just not cut to go out and hustle and get their own work. Um, and then, and or can you... When you are hustling, getting into work, can you manage all the money side of it? No matter how much you're making, can you do the taxes? Can you do the invoicing? Can you do the POs? All, all of those things. So those, short of how much money you could make, it that's like the, the first side of it. Yeah, and it, the invoicing and the accounting stuff is huge. Um, you know, I have a small, my little company that we started, Precision Audio Services. It's just me and my dad does the uh, the books, and my dad's been doing doing finances for thirty five. 40 years. So he's an expert in that stuff. Um, but you know, when we started it, he said, well, I'll do this because I know how to do this, you know? And he said, yeah, thanks Kyle. He says, he said, you go out and and do your engineering because that's what you do. And I'll, I'll do the payroll. But if you're going to do your own thing, you have to know how to do your invoicing. You got to keep your records of your books. You got to, there's a lot of overhead time and, you know, hours that are not spent doing anything related to audio that you have to do just to get paid. Um, and I think the other aspect of this and this is a conversation I was having with Erica Rust last week. Um, Chris, if I work for you, I'm on I'm on your company's payroll. I'm salaried. I'm on your staff. Like you said, I'm not out there chasing down gigs, trying to book my calendar, trying to trying to fill up my my schedule. Um, you would go, okay, well, this our company's been hired to do these events, so here you do this one, this one, this one. So that's going to kind of happen for me. Whereas if I'm freelancing. I now have to go out and it's no longer that someone wants to hire X number of sound engineers. If it's Michael's audio company, LLC, the only people that are going to hire me are people that want to hire Michael specifically. So I think there's a downside to that. And there's a lot more impetus on you to go and advocate for yourself and book your own gigs. But I also think when we're talking about perceived value, right? And how much can I charge and why should you hire me instead of the next person? A lot of the things we've talked about in previous episodes apply here. Why does the why does the band keep hiring me instead of hiring somebody else? They could get a lower rate somewhere else, maybe. Um, 
I they we've been working together a long time. They trust me. They they like the way we interact, right? So it's if it becomes I need to hire Michael instead of I need to hire a sound engineer. If you build that personal relationship, your leverage goes up, and that means that, that your flexibility goes up. Your you can make your own hours more. You have more control over your own rates, right? Sure, and, and not so. And obviously, we want to get to a, a money portion of this as well. But the other thing about. Um, uh, you know the the full the full time freelance thing too. So if you're freelancing, then while you're on your gig, you're still having to work for your next gig and and taking emails and calls, accepting gigs, working for your next gig. Whereas if you're full time, you're just worried about the next gig, so your focus can can actually be there. So, um, but you know, so from the money side differences, um, from a freelance, you know, you technically have to make your own schedule, right? So if you can if you can you know if you have enough you know work coming in, you can typically you know, I'll be honest, I hear a lot of freelancers who work about half the amount of days a month that a full-timer does and makes the same amount of income as long as they can keep it consistent um, because, you know, their day rates are higher per day as if they were when they were full-time. Um, and they can kind of pick and choose what days they do and don't want to have to take off. It's not worried about, you know, pay time off and stuff like that. So there is there is typically some flexibility in the schedule as long as you can, you know, keep your work maintaining when you're a freelancer. And I think there's also, you know, an important element of this. I mean, you, you have to consider, and again, like you said, we're absolutely not experts on this, but liability is really important. You know, uh, that that costs money. Being insured, if, if something, someone gets hurt on a show site that you're at, even if you weren't involved with the cause of it, uh, there's a good chance that you're going to be involved with some sort of suit or settlement. And so you want to be protected against that. Um, I think, you know, another factor here is is simply access to equipment. If I'm a freelancer, does that mean I have to go out and buy all my own gear? Is there a way that I can get access to Like if I'm a freelancer for your company, Chris, and you call me, I don't have to bring my own stuff. You guys have gear. But if I want to do a local uh, audio company and I'm starting from scratch, you're talking about enormous investments. Uh, It takes a lot of money. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get traction when you're starting from nothing. And so you're going to have to expect to burn for two or three years sometimes before that becomes profitable. And and that's just not realistic for a lot of people. We've talked about this a little bit. We've talked about, you know, should I buy my own console? Um, and so for for IMS Technologies or for Rat Sound or, or for any of these these companies to say, we need to buy a, uh, you know, we need to buy a, a Pro 2 for our, our show next week. We need, a, we need a Pro 2. That's a that's not really a significant purchase for a company, but for a freelancer, it's an enormous purchase. It's like buying a new car. So even the scale of the purchases and the investments that you're making, uh, it really changes pretty significantly. Sure. And uh, we can stop making this the Crystal Michael show after I make this comment. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> oh, there's a show going on? Uh, <laughs> um, we but, started? Uh, you know the, the the freelancer gear thing is like so like at least in the corporate world and I don't know how this works in the rock and ro- rock and roll world but um you know there's a lot of like high end corporate A ones who come with their own playback rig like their own QLab machines their own wireless routers their own you know iPads and stuff and so they're able to sometimes charge extra for that package of gear um, or sometimes you know I'm already going to supply all the gear so I'm, I'm not going to pay for it there's a chance for you to make more money you know in the sub of your gear but then you're also responsible for maintaining it and then going back to that liability thing is well, do I want to trust my freelancer's gear or the gear that I, I purchased as a company? Because if that freelancer's gear fails, who's at fault? That freelancer or me? Well, ultimately, it's me to the client. Um, and then last thing on liability would be, uh, at least in the corporate world, it is very common now at this point that almost all companies hiring freelancers require you to carry um, liability insurance. Um, hmm. That's a, it's a 
that's a hot button topic. Um, there's a lot of regions in this country I've noticed um, it's still a foreign concept, um, especially like South Florida area. It's a foreign concept. Um, other places, I don't know exactly why that is, but like we're having to turn down freelancers because they we just we will not bring them on board unless they're carrying liability insurance. So that's liability insurance is definitely key. And actually, the I'll, I'll say. I, I, to even quote, I think Brian Maddox uh, in one of these emails, he said, uh, actually, whether you have liability, he, he says, uh, frankly, I consider this to be a fairly easy way to separate the semi-pros from the pros. So uh, don't take it from me. Take it from Brian Maddox, who, if you don't know who he is, he's a well-respected, you know, uh, uh, corporate he's engineer. He's going to hear this and be like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that anytime I say anything controversial, Brian Maddox told me. Uh, yeah, he once personally <laughs> texted me this information. Yeah, no, I can't prove it. Uh, there's no evidence. Um, I, I want to. I want Samantha. If you could talk a little bit, because you, you, you're kind of like me. You straddle this line. You have mm-hmm. a salaried gig with with a company, and you also do a, some freelance work. So, yeah. I mean, maybe you can talk about both sides of that and what your experience has been with trying to juggle those. For sure. I have been, I've had some kind of like full-time jobs, you know, slash salaried position, um, usually being like 50% of my work and then 50% freelancing or consulting and things like that for years at this point. I've actually just slowed that down a little bit recently. But yeah, uh, I mean, I got a salaried position. It was, it was a super weird job, but it was, it was awesome because it was so flexible and, and, and it was weird. So I would work you know, my full 35 or 40 hours in like three and a half days or four days. So that would give me three other days to do stuff, which I did. And so I would get those sweet bennies, uh, but I would also get that uh, freelance rate that you just can't, it's it's hard to hit, you will be hard to find a uh, salary position that pays technically as well per hour as if you freelance, but you give up some of that per do, you know dollars per hour for like a lot more benefits uh, in the long run. So I've enjoyed it a lot. I enjoy getting to kind of taste both of those worlds. It leaves me open to do different stuff and do kind of more creative things while still having a small line of stability financially and schedule wise throughout the year. So, and I think there's you know. Part of this this juggling of managing your own calendar, and I think you know Willa can talk about this a lot. It takes um, a lot out. It's like a lot of work. It it, it 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 is. But the other thing that I'm that I'm finding out is like there's only so many hours in the day, right? So we right. have to be very careful about: Do I have time to spend with family? Do I have time to take care of myself yeah. and relax and do nothing? And that's something that I've. I mean, I'll Samantha sleep when I, I die, mother effort. <laughs> Samantha and I have been talking about this for years yeah. together. This is something that that I've had to do a lot of work on, but. Um, you know, there's there's a situation that comes up that I that I've, that I've had to deal with where you're like, I'm being called for this freelance gig, but you know, I I, I would have to take a day off my regular gig for that. So you're mm-hmm. literally saying, okay, if I take day off my regular gig, it costs me X number of dollars, yeah, right? Because so if the freelance gig doesn't pay me at least X number of dollars, I need to say no to that freelance gig because I'm actually going to be losing money by taking a day off right. and going to do that gig, and so that calculus starts to come into play. Um, <laughs> And it, you need to be, you know, in a place where you feel comfortable saying no to a gig because I think saying yes to everything. I mean, obviously, present times excluded, right? A little bit yeah. atypical now, but but um, you have to get to the point where you 
you're okay turning down a gig or referring it to a friend um, because it's really easy to fry yourself and to just get into some really nasty places. Oh, and, yeah. and, and Willa, I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of this because I know you do a lot of freelance stuff. I do. Uh, I'm sort of similar to Samantha in that I also have both. Um, so I, I don't think of it as salary versus freelance because uh, I've never had a salary job. I've only had hourly and I've had W-2 and I have had full time, but not in audio. I haven't had a full time job in two years. Um, so all of my W-2 work is kind of freelance style. Um, but in, in, in that I am on payroll and I do like contribute to unemployment and so on and so forth, but I've never had uh, an audio job where I had benefits or anything like that. Um, I've to, only had to, to make a quick distinction there for some people. So uh, you basically weren't, so you weren't guaranteed a certain amount of hours in a week, right? Right. Correct. It's a, it's as appointment, but you right. paid taxes. They took the taxes yes. out of that. Right. Yes. Okay. But they still, they still like take the taxes out and they still contribute to unemployment and they, and they still do all of that other stuff. Um, but you know, the, the flip side of that full, t- just the, to, to give the full scope of the full, full time situation. Some people like, for instance, at the company I'm at, they are, our techs are guaranteed 40 hours a week, whether they're shows or not. Right. And then obviously if they, if they do beyond 40 hours, they're going to get OT, uh, but they're at least guaranteed. So you, in some ways you have a baseline sal- salary that you can kind of count on mm-hmm. as opposed to your, you know, uh, sometimes they would call what your position is like we call a permalancer. Like if you, at least if you work very steadily with a company, but you're not guaranteed hours, you kind of call it like a permalancer. I'm going to get a oh. jersey with that on the back. Permalancer. <laughs> yeah, that I mean Maybe that's a really those. applicable term. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I've never I haven't heard that one before, but yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, I'm, so, Willa, I'm are you are you writer. struggling? Yeah. Oh, so Potter's fancy. Do you no, have, do you have like a nice <laughs> office chair? Yes. I have a my office chairs from IKEA, and it's not very nice. Um. As, it was, you, as you can hear, my office chair is broken uh, and it very slowly it. lowers itself. So I keep having like every five minutes I have to like shh, go all the way back up again. Um, uh, no, but I would say really you- quickly, jeez, um, uh, Michael. Uh, that go ahead. This, latency, my, latency. Uh, <laughs> this is my first like quote salary job where it's like you're expected yeah, to work 40 hours a week. Um and uh, it won't change unless there's like a ho- you know a holiday or something like that. Um, but all my jobs before were you know full time with benefits, but it was technically hourly. Was that a, was that a shift for you in terms of having a regular schedule enforced yeah, this on is, you? Yeah, this and, is weird. This is weird. I, yeah. I'm still getting used to it. It's been um, you know uh, a couple months at this point, but it's um, it, it's interesting. I'm getting way more used to it now because I was used to working like 14 hour days, and now I like on a different kind of grind, but I like it. I've got uh, the kind of flexibility to sort of get my projects done throughout the day. It's not, you know, it's nice. It's good, but it's different. And I just found out that you have not only a work cell phone, so I have two places to send memes yes. to you now. Yes. Um, yes. You also have an extension. I do. So two di- they gave me that, two different I'm numbers. Gonna have to, I'm going to have to call that sometime and just see what's I going did, on with that I whole just found out today that my voicemail <laughs> on my voice. cell phone is apparently not me. It was the last person that had this number. So uh, I just found that out today. So you should call right now you know, or after this and, and see who that <laughs> okay, is. Okay, we'll, we'll test it out. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to Will, Willa. I inter- yes, interrupted Will. her on the full-time part. I just wanted to clarify just distinctions for some people who just might not have been experienced to or exposed to the different um, things there. 
Yeah, there's a lot of variety in terms of employment styles. Um, as you as listeners might be picking up here on this conversation, and it's so like I I have a kind of a combination of of everything. Um, and then with my contract jobs, uh, a lot of them. I mean, I I don't know if we really want to get into this, but I mean, there is like illegal 1099ing that happens a lot in this area. And that, that, yeah, that's you, a, said, you said illegal. There's illegal 1099ing, which is um, so the legal IRS definition. I mean, I'd ha- I'd have to I can't recite it word for word, but like between the difference between W two versus 1099. So the the main criteria to keep in mind is who makes your schedule. If it's someone other than you, is somebody else making your schedule? Are you using company equipment or are you using your equipment? Um and the California battle right now. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. Um and if they're policing like, you know, your behavior or what what you, uniform you wear when you're at work, uh, if they're saying you need to be here at this time to this time and that that sort of thing. If someone else is making those decisions, by definition from the IRS, you are you should be W-2. You should be an employee. They should be paying for unemployment insurance. They should be taking care of your federal taxes. Like just legally, that is what they should be doing. However, um, in Austin, that's not really a thing. Uh, or most places in the country. Or just, most, yeah. yeah. I'm speaking from Austin just because that's a market that I have the most experience in. And that's what I, I know the best. Um, so, and, you know, there's a and you know and also if there's shifts you know so there's there's so many factors that go in and and so that's all illegal contract work and it should be W two and it's not and so that company is at risk of being audited, um pr- pr- but you know they're doing it anyways because they can get away with it because most uh em- of of the people that they you know em- contract I don't want to say employ because they're not employing them they're contracting them. Uh, they either don't know or they won't or they have some level of fear where they won't report them to IRS, you know, so they kind of get away with fudging the lines there. Um, so Willa is spelling the T. So uh, here's the thing. The feeling you get when you're in that situation is either you're making a ton of money. You see your check and you're like, oh, man, I just made a ton of money. The first thing you need to do is to put a third of that away. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's where I think a lot of people make mistakes. They start seeing these huge checks, whether it's 1099, W-2, whatever. I mean, not W-2 because your taxes are already taken out, but um, you got to watch your taxes. And that's what got me in trouble, jumping between it. You end up having seven different things that you have to claim on your taxes. And if mm-hmm. you file it with like um, TurboTax or uh, another online format, or even like H&R Block, like if you start doing multiple states and stuff like that, a tax place is going to charge you a lot more money. So oh, take yeah. that take that money out. Don't think that you're making, let's just say you made 500 bucks a gig and you had five, like take 250 out of that and put it aside for a second because your taxes are going to be nuts. They're going to be nuts. They are. Kyle, the other thing that's really important about that that I've had to deal with is what I've found is a lot of people who do tax preparation services and stuff like that and, and, you know, who you might hire an outside accounting firm to help you if you have a small company. 
a lot of those people don't have a really good idea of what we do for a living. No, um, they want to talk you know, to you about your gig. It's like right, no, but like you know, get audited, bro. <laughs> right. So, you know, is it a, is it labor? Is it a professional service? Are you a stagehand? Are you an engineer? Like, like there's a lot of really gray areas in there. And so I, I actually found that I had to really go in and sit down with the folks who do our payroll and our accounting uh, and, and help so, them so understand me, about the job, you know? Let me po- pose a question to everyone on the panel about pay then. Should there be a standardized amount for our job, just like there is for many other jobs out there. I mean, yes, I, no. I, I, I vote no. I, I think there's both things, but like I saw management taking kids and not paying a whole bunch. And then someone pro would come for the next album and they'd be like, oh, we're not paying that much. Like um, there's a problem with undercutting and then there's a problem at the top end of the spectrum as well, you know, so do you ever think that there'll be a place where, Hey, I know I'm going to walk in today and I'm going to get 400 bucks. I don't know. I mean, $400 means something different in every city. So $400 here in the Midwest for, you know, us is not $400 in California or New York city or anything. Yeah. Try to get back into what Michael was talking about before we press record too. So, yeah. Well, so here's one analogy before we talk into rates is, you know, per diem, right? So in terms of standardizing per per diem um, and how this fluctuates. So, you know, at least when I was rock and roll touring, you know, you basically got, you know, flat, whatever it was, $45 a day or something like that, um, no matter what city you run across the country, right? Um, and in New York, that's not going to do shit for you. But, you know, and if you're in Birmingham, Alabama, you're, you're fine. You know, and I, I don't, I'm just picking random cities and not, you know, I'm not calling names here. Um, email about Birmingham. Signal to noise. But however, so in the least in the corporate world, um, it, what we've chosen to do, at least, and I can't speak for other, other people, but I, it seems pretty common, is we use the GSA guideline where there is a scale based on the city you go to. So if you go to New York, it's actually like, I don't know, $75 a day, you know, or, or, but I'll go back to Birmingham, it's maybe $55 a day or something like that, you know. Um, and it, so it's reasonable because it's that whole cost of living thing. Um, so I, I that's where I think, you know, some of the sliding scale goes, and it's not the same for paying, but like already in that facet, there's not going to be a countrywide standard um, because it's just not. I think the the reason I'll see that is because there's such a vast number level of it's not just you know because you can't really grade somebody on how well they can <clears throat> mix, right? Uh, uh, you know because it's all it's all opinion. There's there's tenure, there's years. Um, so I, it's there's so much more that goes into the relationship side, um, what your full responsibilities are, splitting that PM in front of house role. I think there's some such a vast amount of splitting there that I don't think you'll ever be able to centralize um, what the rates are. Willis said so, yes, I so think, I want to hear why. <laughs> I, w- I need to hear I, why. I do too. I do too. So I, I, I have some things I want to say, but I'd like to hear Willis' thoughts first. So the reason why – so I want to clarify my yes because it might – after listening to Chris for a moment, I mean, no, uh, you have to stick with yes. Yeah, sorry. Well, no, well like, <laughs> I'm not Final saying, like, I mean, I, I still think that standardized is a yes, though I, it is with stipulations, which might end up being a Chris Leonard. No. So I think 
I, I think it should be standardized within the market that you're in, you know? So oh, for sure. Like, I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. So, so standardized within the city of Austin, for example, like, uh, at, for the, for this kind of venue, that's like this, like, like, uh, let's say a 300 cap venue versus a 500 cap versus a thousand cap, uh, the, like a standardized pay rate for, uh, a certain expected, uh, amount of work, uh, or a style of show or whatever you want to call it. Um, like having that sort of like rubric to, um, mm you know, to base everything off of. And, you know, audio can be expected to get a certain average lighting and average stage management and, you know, production management, all of that. Like all of those would be an average rate within like the type of venue, the city that you're in, um, in the style and maybe the style of show perhaps. So, so my, my caveat to that would be, so, I mean, that would maybe work on a very micro regional level, mm-hmm. right? But when you start getting into national touring, so how do you base, you know, are you going to change your rate per city that you're playing in? Because the ticket uh, prices, yeah. are, you know, are going to be the same across the tour. Or like, I live in LA, but I'm, you know, I'm doing a show in Alabama. Do I have to get paid? I'm going to keep it on Alabama. I'm sorry. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, like at, at that point, I would say, like, what what level of show is it? A club level show? Is it a theater? Is it arena? Is it stadium? How long is it? Where are you going? And right, but that's that all for that's all furthering the level of depth of mm. pay scale. You know what I mean? Like for instance, I could be doing a like national um, like mega event, you know, like the inauguration or something in DC mm. that is a you know a, a long month long show or, or install or show, right? As opposed to doing you know a couple day in in Times Square doing doing new doing New Year's Eve. Like the the that's what I'm saying. Like the the style of, of, of events you're doing, the level of the pressure, it varies so much that there, I don't think the region plays anything into it except for the local club. But even on the local club level, you could have like a 500 cap uh, room that is bringing like some sometimes some serious B-level acts into their club mm-hmm. because that's what the artist is choosing to do. And yeah. so the promoter is going to make bank on those shows and they're not mm-hmm. making shit on the comedy show that comes through the next week. And so at that point, wh- who who gets the sliding scale? Does the promoter get the sliding scale or does the A1, who does he get paid less for the comedy show than he does for mixing that headline act that came through? You know, is he not still worth his time regardless of what he's doing? Depends mm-hmm. on how much cocaine he had. Huh. Oh, I don't know. It- and, you know, Chris, there are so many variables here, but I think one that, that we have to talk about, even though it's really hard to quantify, is there is some aspect of meritocracy to this. Mm-hmm. There are people who can charge more per day simply because they're better, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and better however you define it. You know, it, one of the companies I work with around here, there are certain techs that make a, a certain rate and there are a handful of techs that make a higher rate because when they're on the show, there are less problems. They're more self-sufficient. I don't have to babysit them. Um, things happen faster. Things just happen better, and so they justify a higher rate because the production is improved as a result. And it also means that like calls happen faster and loadouts aren't as long. So, um, you know, I, I do think that that personal skill or merit or whatever term you want to use, right? Um, you know that that has to be part of the conversation. I mean, there are so many stories of well, this guy got fired, and so we're bringing in, we're flying somebody in special to to pick up and of course that person's going to cost more right like why should you get paid the same amount as the person who did such a bad job that they got fired you know what i mean like there, there mm-hmm. there's there's some really real considerations there as well um add to the fact that basic supply and demand the people who are better at that job have more job offers they're hard they're busier right so so it their time is worth more money 
Um, and then there's the other uh, the other side of it. And, and Chris, maybe you can talk about this from an employment side. And Kyle, I mean, you, you've done you, you, Kyle's a great example, right? So when Kyle goes out on tour and makes Uh-oh. his front of house with no, no, it's cool, man. It's cool. Don't worry, we're not gonna get it. <laughs> you, Kyle. You, Kyle turn inside the mix engineer, right? right. And Kyle turn inside the tech support uh, person who picks Idiot. up the phone. And Kyle Turnside, who is the manufacturer rep who's going around uh, to, to trade shows. Dad. Those are three very different jobs. So I don't think, Kyle, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if I were you in that situation, I wouldn't say, here's my rate. I think those are three very different jobs. And to me, those are different rates. They require different skill sets, right? They're, they are. And that's the, the learning curve is ridiculous because there was times I was working for a manufacturer and then I was still going out and doing piecemeal side work to keep my sanity, you know, take a short tour, work mm-hmm. at some venues when I was in Las Vegas. Um, and my taxes were nuts, dude. And the rates were nuts too. And you're right about that, but there's a low end to it as well. And sometimes the low end helps as leverage, you know, cause, um, sometimes your bracket is high and you won't get asked to do certain things or you won't get calls or they won't get you because they think, Oh, you're too much. Like, and, and that's why I think, I don't know, maybe I humbled myself by working in a church. Like, um, I see how much comes in. It's not the same as the promoter venue aspect of it. You know, I've worked as a general manager of a club too, you know, bash, bash on Ash and Tempe. I did for a while. So, there is a promoter sliding scale. We don't know about it, but there is, you know, and that that's the top of the food chain. We got to kind of expect that we're just the employees at the end of the day. Um, but you're right. Uh, depending on what kind of employees is depending on their shows. So, uh, Chris, like you don't put your A-list dudes out just to put them out. Right. I mean, they go out on A-list stuff or do they take a cut to do a, a, a cheaper day somewhere? Well, so that's actually not that brings up a couple things. One, I would say that the one thing I want to say about uh, the different rates for doing different things is so sometimes if this maybe goes down the rabbit hole of negotiation, which I don't want to get there yet, but like no. you know, I have say a one of my top tier guys uh, or techs, audio engineers, whatever. He um, his rate is you know you know it's on the higher end scale, right? And so and I've had discussions with him of just hey, given the typical level of shows that I. That I that I can put them on, like, hey, I can't I can't do that rate every show. However, I have these like one two major shows of the year where I can pay you that full out rate, but I can book you the rest of the year, three quarters of the year, if I can pay you at this rate, right? And so so there's a level of like understanding. It's like, hey, he's like, I want to work with you uh, because of your gear, the culture you guys have, the clients you have, and I'll stay consistent, even though I, I you know, and in the long run, I'll end up making more money by doing that type of relationship and knowing that you're going to pay me when I need to get paid that rate. So that, that's just one side of that, that sliding scale. The other thing would be, I can only, again, I'm going to speak for my world and my situations. If I have, you know, uh, you know, if I'm hiring Kyle, you know, you know, one day to be an A1 freelance for me in St. Louis. I got Louis a job. For, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you hear that, Michael? I got a job. Kyle. If I'm hiring Kyle to be my A1 one day in St. Louis for a show and his rate is, you know, you know, let's just call it $500, you know, a day right, or, you know, for a 10 hour rate or whatever, right? Um, and then, but the next time I come through the town, for whatever reason, I'm bringing my full-time staffers in a one, um, and I want to use, you know, Kyle's an a two, 
I have a pretty strong standard in, in at least in my world that I'm going to pay Kyle his rate, whether I use him as an A1, whether I use him as an A2, um, because I value him and his experience and his time um, over that position, even though I might I, I might honestly be charging the client less for that A2 position. In the end, it's worth it to me. I almost always will hire A1s before I hire a next tier down. A couple things. It keeps my regular guys working or techs. I don't mean to keep narrowing this on the guys. Um, uh, regular techs working uh, more often. Um, they know, already know my gear and stuff, and I'm getting better quality than them. It just might cost me a little bit more. Now, I don't know that every company is doing that. I can just speak for what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, well, you're a, you're a legit dude, and I think, Willa, we talked about it offline the other day, and I've even had it happen to people are shady, and I don't want to get into negotiation either, but um, sometimes you get a little bit of shade or hard getting paid or not the rate you were looking for. Oh, the show didn't do so good. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you do contracts for everything or is it over email? Like um, it starts with a relationship. I'll be blunt. Like if, if you are scared of uh, negotiations, either on the company side, on the freelance side, your relationship isn't there yet. And so until you establish a relationship, you know, negotiation is never going to be a, a fair side of conversation. Well, that, that's what I really wanted to ask you, Chris, you know, from your side of it, where you're, you're dealing with this enormous roster of freelancers, um, you know, to me, in, in my experience, just be upfront and just say, hey, you know, here's what I have. This is what I can do on this event. And just if you just lead with that, then you don't have to kind of tiptoe around it the whole time. And then I, as your freelancer, can say, yeah, that's that's cool, man. I'll take that. Or, you know, you know, I just can't make that work. I, I think I think the longer you put off that, the the harder it gets. Um, so, you know, I certainly appreciate the times when I've been approached and they just said either, hey, what what would be your rate for this project? That's that's question one. Or here's what we have available for this project. Um, you know, and if you can make that work, great. We want to we want to work with you. Um, but just that's on the table up front. It just kind of diffuses everything. And then you can then you can talk about what you need to talk about. But I think, you know, the longer it goes and you got to like, oh man, I got to ask him what the rate is. Like, don't, you know, I already said I do it. We didn't talk about the money yet. I think that that just gets harder and harder the longer it goes. I, I think even if we stop the episode right now and we could articulate our job responsibilities when it comes to this stuff, we could be running the country right now. What the fuck are we doing? Like <laughs> we can articulate to a, fortune 500 companies, what we do for artists and clients and how we have to take care of ourselves. Like there's so many job responsibilities to mixing a freaking show Mm -hmm. that it it gets overlooked and don't let the money fool you. I mean, that, that would be my only thing I want to say tonight is don't let the money fool you, especially with taxes, like, and insurance, get that stuff, have it. So re- regardless of, of actual dollar amounts, let's talk about the uh, different scenarios we've experienced in terms of how you're getting paid. So, for instance, corporate world, it's very standard that you're do- whatever your rate is, you know, um, somewhere, uh, you know, let's just, I'm going to do just do a number $50 an hour, right? Uh, you know, you're getting a, you're typically getting a minimum of a 10 hour call, regardless of how many hours you work, right? Um, and then you're in time and a half after 10 hours. Um, and then often it's after 14, you're at double time and so forth. Uh, that is very traditional of corporate. I have no idea where broadcast is. I imagine broadcast is very similar. Um, rock and roll. When I was doing rock and roll, it was a flat day rate. 
Um, so whether it was a local one-off uh, show, you know, uh, I'm getting a flat day rate, no matter whether I worked 18 hours a day or if I was on touring, I got, uh, at least because I was working for a company, I got paid every day I was gone, um, but probably at a lower rate every day than, say, somebody who was working straight for the band and probably only got paid uh, per show day. Kyle, how was that for you when you're touring? Did you get paid per show day or per every day that you were gone? Uh, weekly. So we get a weekly rate, and that goes for like guitar techs and drum techs. If you work directly for the artist or the management company, it's usually a weekly rate. And then a per diem on top of that. But isn't that, I mean, your, your weekly rate really is boiled down to like, you know, roughly how much you're making a day though, right? I mean, is uh, that. Depends on the touring schedule, you know. Um, usually starting out, it's fairly low. If you're going to Europe, you might get a little bumpsy bumps. Um, like it, that that's negotiation. You know what I mean? Like, is this artist going somewhere? Do you feel it? Like, did you go out and do a few shows? You like the crew? Um you got to negotiate because I think you see the same people with the same band all the time, you know? So when they get to that point, you negotiate straight with them because, you know, there's retainer still happening for some folks. I don't know if it's happening right now, but like when you're home, they pay for you to be home. I mean, there's times that I had to fly out and hang out with my artist or watch their dog or whatever weird thing that they need me to do, you know, on my off time during retainer. So those are all things that you negotiate. Definitely size of the artist is imperative, you know? Um, Will, Will, what have you experienced like club wise and some of the side work you've been doing? How do you, how do, how are you deciding like uh, rates and I say numbers, but just, you know, where it boils down to either hours or flat rates and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there, I mean, there with the clubs in Austin, there, there's a range between 100 to $200 and it usually rests between 100 and 160. And then sometimes you can find something for 200. Uh, how, how many hours are you putting in for that work? Uh, it depends on the day. Um, so some days it could be like an, an eight to 10 hour day. And then sometimes it's six hours. So it really just, it, it varies. It depends, but High you're still school metal battle of the band <laughs> starts at Rollery. noon. Rollery. $20. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it starts at noon. But like, one, one thing I want to want to mention, like going back to uh, Kyle's statement of don't let the money fool you. Cause like, I mean, y'all might hear that we're going to shout out numbers like 450 a day or 200 a day or whatever, or per show. Um, and, and you might think if like at your day job, like I'm only making like $14 an hour and I don't, and after taxes, it doesn't even come close to that. Well, also like we're working fewer days in the week, like on average, I would say like most places you're going to have shows Friday, Saturday, and then church on Sunday. Sometimes you'll have a Thursday show. Um, and then there's three days out of the week where they're generally, at least in the rock and roll world, there's not anything going on unless you're lucky or it's a venue. Yeah. Yeah. So like we have to have those higher numbers to make up for those other three days out of the week that are missing. And then the show itself, it's not necessarily like depending on the style of show. Like if I'm working a Broadway load in that can be a 24 hour overnight call, or it could be a four hour minimum. It just depends. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know, so it's uh uh, you know, I I went on a I went on a, a goose chase, Chris, and I apologize. What was your question? 
I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. That, that, that was it. I just what what your experience was on like you know like whether you're the club stuff, just like you know how are you establishing yeah. you know so, okay. hourlies or flat rates stuff like that. So All we're right. just trying to get a, a, a run the gamut here of what mm-hmm. our without mm-hmm. the chain. Oftentimes, like the club determines it, and then you either take it or you go somewhere else. Uh, and that's how they present it to you. And then and and uh, if you're new in town. Um, or new to the industry, you accept it and you just like, oh, sure. shoot, like I get a club job. This is great. Like, at least I have something. Like, I'll just take it. I'll take anything that's been, I can get. That's been my experience too, at least yeah. in this area area of like Baltimore and Philly, like mm. you know, the club stuff, you're, you know, 500 cap and under type places or whatever, all like it's the yeah. club sets their rates for A1s and, and LDs and whatever. And it, yeah, same thing. It's the yeah. people you take it or leave it. There's no negotiating in that yeah. world. And then, so, I mean, there are some situations though where like I've had, a long-standing relationship with a venue and they called me day of and they needed me in less than an hour and i'm like well okay but you're gonna add on another fifty dollars and it's like a little two-hour thing so it's um it, it it can it depends and uh i i can't i think it was chris like you, like you mentioned like the relationship the relationship is key um and michael you were saying uh having like having the conversation about and just being upfront about this is like this is the budget that we've got and how so like I think at the end of the day like it are we we're not are we getting into negotiation now am I allowed to go here or what are what are the rules okay cool so like by have like the bottom line you if you can have the conversation have the conversation but also like as a freelancer let's say I'm someone who is going to a venue and they're bringing me on for the first time um when they ask when, when we when it gets down to pay like first off make sure that conversation about payment happens before you do anything and that you get it in writing um and, it, and it's and it's not a personal thing and uh i think samantha you said something earlier about this about wanting to like dispel any taboo-ness of this because we have to have that conversation of this is how much i get paid and yeah, I, I said that before we started recording that we did like yeah. I was fine with saying numbers because it's super taboo for anybody to say how much they're getting paid for some reason or another. But the more mm-hmm. that we talk about it, the better we'll we'll all be. Yeah, and 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 there's a there's some theories behind why that is part of our culture, um, and I just want everybody to know that it is actually federally illegal for companies to tell you, and especially if the, if it's like a a signing contract thing, and it is illegal for them to tell you that you cannot discuss your rates with other uh, colleagues. That is illegal. You can absolutely co- have a conversation about it, and you should have a conversation about mm-hmm. it. And so that is, I mean, it's something I feel so strongly about, and I. I called kyle a couple days ago and i told him about one of my artists we played a show a few weeks ago she her manager didn't even have a conversation about payments and as far as we know she's not getting paid for this extremely like i mean it ended up being a fine show but it was really not a great experience and then the other band all males uh i called them and i asked them hey are you guys getting paid and they said absolutely we don't do anything without payment on the table so there's there was a there's I mean mm. I, I I didn't mean to bring gender into it really but there is sort of a uh I will actually you know what yes I do mean to bring gender into it because women you we go. tend to to uh, undercut ourselves and there and I think that that goes with a lack of confidence and a lack of knowledge and uh so our male counterparts they have more confidence within themselves uh, more often than not and they are tr- a little bit better equipped 
you know, emotionally and just with all of that to have that like firm conversation of like, no, you're actually going to pay me. Whereas us, we're more negotiable and we'll, we'll take a lower rate. Um, and then you can get into all of that, the semantics of that. But like, honestly, like women have a harder time, especially initially negotiating the rates. I certainly did until I started to realize that my male counterparts were getting paid more than me. And I figured out why. And it's because they were having the conversation and I wasn't. And I was like just kind of being mm-hmm. timid and just being like, oh, it's okay. At least I'm working. And no, I'm suffering and I'm not and I'm have, struggling to make my ends meet. And it's because I'm not standing up for myself. I'm going to step off my soapbox and let somebody else talk well, now. No, I'm glad. I, and I'm glad you said that. Well, and I also for the folks who listened to the uh, episode that we had with Michelle recently, um, some of the stuff she said at the end of that. I mean, that's important stuff. That was like, a great interview, you know, by the way. Y'all did great with that. Yeah, I love man, it, she's so cool. She's amazing. And I was so happy to, to have her on. But that's important stuff. You know, and, and I was the 19-year-old kid who looked like he was 14, who was walking yeah. to the venue. And they take one look at me and they decide do. that I don't know. Right? Yeah. So this, he, I, I'm going to treat this guy like shit because because he's a kid and he can't mm-hmm. possibly know. So if you're a young person, if you're, if you're a female, I mean, you, there are real disadvantages there that you have to overcome. So I think it's even more important, Willa, for you, mm. you know, you're, you're a, you're a small, quiet, mild mannered, very friendly young lady. And so when you go in there, I, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people would look at you and say, I can walk all over her. I mean, Whereas, just Kyle, quiet she's and a, mild she's mannered. A woman. They lied to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to like, I, I don't want to be that person, but I'm going to be that person is, you know, Willa's a grown woman. So thank she you, is. Sam. She is. Yeah, Thanks, but uh, but she's not. Send your emails to signal. No, no. <laughs> yeah, email yes, signal to noise. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, like I've seen the stats. Like half of the people in our field are over fifty. Oh yeah, right. Easy. So Easy. so so I am a young person. When, statistically, I, I'm young. I'm 32 years old. I'm a when I walk in, I'm a young gun. Right. Mm-hmm. So I mean. So and, and Samantha, that's true. You and I mean, it's not true for Kyle. Kyle's old. But. I think I think me and Willa are only a couple, maybe like two years apart or something like that. So did we decide that we're two months apart? Is it two months? How old it's are two you? Two months. I'm 27. Born okay. in June. God, yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah, yeah there <laughs> we go. Yeah, no, it's two, we're two months apart. Yeah, no, we're the youngest here. Are you teaming up on us? Maybe I mean, they are. Yeah. Oh, but the, see, this is this we is a great, great team, example though, though because. It's all about you know how you view yourself and how how the other person views you can be very very different. Yeah, so, oh, very much so. And like that, and honestly, you can kind of use that impression as a weapon, and it's fun to mm-hmm. do that just to like bring a little comedy into the room here. Like, I mean, people look at me, they meet me. I am extremely friendly. I'm very professional. I have I have a young face, uh, and I I have a very very feminine appearance to myself and you i identify petite. as such i'm actually i'm not petite <laughs> i mean I'm, i would call you petite but all right so, you're so like, Willa, like you're Willa. five five or less right i'm five seven dude <laughs> you're there's so, no way you are five seven because i, I am five, five. All right, okay. ladies, anyways, so i'm the ladies. shortest one here I know how to get over the baby face. Okay, Willa, but like, if, anyways, if, if, you, if you just grow, if you just grow facial hair, <laughs> oh my god, I would love to grow. Face. I would rock a, a French style mustache or like a, a villain handlebar, like some. Um, I would look yeah. good. Anyway, like, something you, you have to wax. But like, even if if you like male, female, non-identifying, if you have young features, you can kind of use that to your advantage, honestly, because people like they don't expect much. So, and, and honestly, right. you can you can kind of weaponize that a little bit, and and use it to your advantage to 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 impress people, and also to kind. Of, I mean, I mean, I can, 
I can get into like the the feminine identity and and having and manipulating that to the person that I'm talking to at that moment, and it and it works mm. every time. Yep. Um. It does. Yeah. It really. And I mean, Sam, you and I have had so many conversations about that. But like, it's if if I walk into a venue, more often than not, like I'm I'm dealing with somebody who's expecting to take my console away from me, even though it's my artist. And I've had people go up to my artist and try to insult me and steal them away from me at the show that we're about to play. So, and, and thank God for my artists. They're amazing and they, they know what I can do and they value me and I have a very tight relationship with them. So it, it usually never works. <laughs> well, not usually it has never worked. Um, but that, that's the kind of stuff that you end up dealing with. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's taken me years to get the confidence that is probably even close to what it actually should be. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, I'm talking maybe in the last two years have I mm-hmm. really been like, oh, I need to I need to get a hold of this because it like circles right back around to our conversation today. It's about a it's a money thing and it's an opportunity yeah. thing. And if I'm not if I'm not being paid what I'm worth, I'm I'm literally devaluing myself and that's the last thing I want to do. So mm-hmm. uh, I ha- I don't have much tolerance for um being you know undervalued or underpaid or anything these days because I've just I, I've done too much work and my resume is you know, uh, what it is and, and that's great. And I deserve it X amount of dollars per show or day or week or whatever the job may entail. But yeah, it, it's, I'm ashamed that it's taken me this long, but I will never go back. It's an ongoing journey. Kyle has his hand up. So Kyle? yeah, I think one of the coolest emails we got, uh, previous guest Pavan friend of mine for a long time mm-hmm. said, remember that to provide your own retirement plan for yourself you know that you're the only one that's going to be taking care of, care of this and and it says make sure you're also charging enough many 9 to 5 skilled professional positions give you perks like stocks healthcare paid vacation time to act yeah um, the bennies are you know you have to like uh, quantify that you have you know, to whether it be $10,000 a year or 20,000 or whatever it is like that yes. you need to include that in your freelancing rate and and if they ask you know explain that in the best way possible hey man if i was working at insert corporate name here you guys would be offering me a 401k if you want to use me all the time you know i'll do the day rate thing but i need to be able to cover these expenses as and as you get older like i said retirement plan it, we we always say we're going to talk about it but is is the out of this business you know when when are you going to be able to say oh dude i'm not going to go work at the the club this weekend you know um so take care of yourself. I th- I think Willow's points were great. Like, holy cow, being treated the, as the young person on the show or the female mm-hmm. on the show comes with consequences. It does. Um, no one teaches you negotiation either. So uh, reach out to somebody and, and see how to negotiate. I think that's another good tip for our younger listeners is, hey, reach out and talk about negotiation. I'm talking to a guy from the UK here on and off. And, you know, he had some money issues as well, um, with, with some management companies and, uh, you know, what he should ask because he's coming across the pond, you know, what he should do about texts. Like, these are all things that you need to think about. I mean, it, it comes down to your pay too. Hey, if you're going to be taking care of that, a lot of people that end up doing multiple jobs for that band in a van, you know, uh, should probably get paid for it, man. You're working a couple weeks before the band even starts mm-hmm. just advancing and talking to club owners and emailing and getting hotels, you know, make sure that you're charging for that too. 
And I think the industry standard is like half your rate. So whatever your weekly rate is on that tour, you get half the rate to, to do all your advanced work and stuff. Make sure you're getting that. And, you know, Samantha, that's a conversation that you and I had like over and over and over again in the last year or so. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you were, you were on, you had one job and you had an offer for another job and the new job was at a higher rate, but you're like, look, you know, I ran the numbers here. And, you know, when you look at the benefits, when you look at the health insurance, when you look at the things that I'm getting, um, going to the new job just because the rates higher, you know, the calculus doesn't work out as well. And so, yeah, if you get less PTO, yeah, if you get less PTO, but you're making more of an hourly rate, you need to do the math and say, okay, well, am I actually walking out of here with more money? And even just aside from just the strict monetary value of things, the things like your autonomy and how creative you get to be, like those things are also, you mm-hmm. know, culture, those are all huge pieces of, of, joining a job or getting a position or anything like that, you know, I'm not going to charge the same rate for people I really love working with for than for people I hate working with. Like mm-hmm. it's going to cost more because I don't like being around you. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you charge me so much, Samantha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's an, that's an awesome point. And you know, there's, it sort of relates to this other concept. Like uh, I love the expression an expert is someone from out of town. Right. So <laughs> I haven't I heard that. Mix a local, yeah. So I can go mix a local bands here. Right. And what I can realistically charge my friend's band who's in town versus what I can realistically charge someone who's flown me across the country to work with them. That's, it's not even the same. I universe, mean, that's so funny right? that like a really quick comment on that is I have very little local work anymore these days. Like at some point it just all switched nationally and suddenly I'm getting paid way more because like I'm quote worth it to fly out, like rather than just some local per- like I don't know what the deal right. is, but yeah, exactly what you just said. But you can't go back to the whatever you know. I'll use my example. My example: I mix a local cover band, and I love working with them. I work with them for seven, eight years. It's great. They're like my family. I can't then go off to the world and move up the corporate ladder and get some high paying job, right? And say, this is my new day rate. I'm now worth X number a day. Mm-hmm. I can't go back to my local cover band and say I'm tripling my rate. Right. Right. So, so, you know, the context here is so important that, you know, there's just, you, you know, the, the rate that makes sense in Brooklyn doesn't make sense for the 50 person bar here in, in Rome, New York. It's just, it's not feasible. So I think it just really highlights all the things that, that Willow was talking about and, and that, that, that Chris was talking about from all the aspects of this. There are so many variables here that it's really hard to just cut with a, with a big swath. You know what I mean? So the another area would be I am I'm a firm believer in um you know executing <laughs> um uh executing and 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 it will come to you. So I, you know by no means am I advocating for working for free or working for below what you're worth. However, I there are projects um, or in Denver endeavors or whatever that'll be worth it to you to in the long run, you know, you know, show your worth and it will come to you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know, I know this is a gray area. I know Will, you've been uh, dancing around this with, uh, you know, uh, some people on social media. Um, but like, yes, you, you, you don't, you, you don't, 
you, you know, you, you can't pay rent on experience. Yeah, I get that, right? Um, and but so there's a fine line on there's going to be opportunities for experience, and absolutely from a a young gun perspective, I'm going to say it is worthwhile to take some of those opportunities. There's going to be a different point in your point in your career where it is never going to be okay for me to work for free unless it's like a true charity thing that I absolutely am trying to like give my time to. Um, I will say that, you know, so me being a full-time employee, there are some, you know, side venture things that I do and I am not doing any of them uh, to make money. In other words, like, yes, I want to make money, but like, you know, I help stage manage uh, a, a festival every year. It takes three days out of my, my week to do, I do some pre-planning for it and like my rate for it, you know, is significantly low um, compared to what maybe somebody would do for it. Um, but I do it because I love doing the gig and I love the people I'm working with. And so, I, and and so that that's where it's like it's an experience based thing that like it's not I'm not worried about moving forward in my career in this. I'm not worried about making sure I'm covering bills. Like you know, I would literally almost do this gig for free um, purely because I want to work with these people and these bands every year after year after year, right? Uh, and so you're gonna have experiences like that, and I think it's worthwhile. And ironically enough, every almost every year I've met someone else who I've now used as a freelancer going forward from that gig and so like if you go back to that networking thing like you know i now have new contacts every year from doing that show um that i can use going forward but that was the first willow when we had you on the show one of the first things you said was like one of the coolest things ever which was like i liked this band and i really wanted to work with them so i just went up to them and i said hey i want to work with you Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think we have to remember here, like, Chris, it's exactly what you're talking about. It, at the core of this, this is a job that we do because we love it, right? So that passion does play a big role in this. Whereas if you sit in a cubicle all day and type on a typewriter, I don't think that's a real job anymore, but I'm, let's pretend it is because it's funny. Who right? has a typewriter, um, Michael? Who has a typewriter? My all, grandmother. We, all, working we all hate typing in boxes, okay? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Oh, oh my so, God, internet reference. Uh, I mean, man, this, wow, this, this all loops back to what Chris said about relationships, you know, yep. so like, and, and have, and what Michael said about having the conversation. So like if someone comes to me and they want me to work for them or I want to work for them, whatever, um, it's sorry, my, my brain stopped. I apologize. Y'all. Okay. So if I hear an artist and I, and I am in love with their sound and I really want to help them, um, and they're just starting out, well, my my day rate is not something that they can afford. But I want to I still want to work with them and I still want to help them and I know that my services will help them grow and will help them get to that point where they can start paying me. Yeah. So that comes down to okay, so what is it going to make it beneficial for both parties and it comes down to an exchange or a trade. So maybe I get 10% of their sales from their merch that night. Um, and, or, or maybe it comes to like the, it's a, an average of $50 per show because that's what they can afford. Um, so that w when it comes to something, a situation like that, that's, that's kind of what happens. And then, uh, with venues right now, with the limitations of budgets, especially with COVID happening, like to kind of steer the conversation in that direction, uh, it, it, it comes down to the conversation of, okay, here's the budget that we have for these shows. Here's how much we're going to expect to make off of it. And so from that, after we pay 
for rent, for utilities, for, you know, the, the, you know, any sort of overhead Base that we have. for people who forgot them. Yes. <laughs> any sort of PPE. And that that's another thing is like figuring out how, figuring out like, you know, PPE, like, is your company going to be providing that for you to work? Um, so th- that's a whole other part of the it's negotiation. Yeah, it's, it's all very expensive. So you have to have the conversation of what is realistic to expect at, at the time of taking a show during, you know, the year of 2020. Um, and then what is also not going to break the bank for either party. So what can you, so at the end of the day for any sort of negotiation pandemic or not, you have to know what your expenses are and how much you need to earn in order to cover all of those expenses, including padding for retirement, unemployment, um, any sort of car payment or whatever, all of that stuff. You need to make sure that those things are covered. And, and health insurance because uh, that's the cost of being human. Um, I've heard it, the the best uh, definition of negotiation is when both parties walk away a little bit disappointed. Yeah, and that's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you want to make sure that neither of you are in the red. I don't know if I agree with that though. Oh yeah. Well, on the on the both parties walking away disappointed because I said a little bit disappointed, not both parties being bummed. Everybody, everything sucks and. <laughs> Like not Taco Bell's closing, but just like you know. Don't get me they, started on Taco Bell. I'm very upset at them. Or took things off their menu. They don't deserve that. us talking about them. <laughs> la 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 la. All right. So well, you know what? I I I, I want to just Willow. When you were talking, I thought of something, and I, I'm going to go back to the the local cover band example. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we were talking about with Poppin is how difficult it is, particularly for people that are starting out. Yes. To get, or I think it was a conversation with Drew, to get drive time on the console, to just get experience behind a PA mixing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, the, the you know, when I work for my local cover band friends, I'm charging them like a third of what I would charge an average client because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's what is an appropriate rate to charge them. Like, but I get six more hours a week in front of a console, mixing a PA, working on the show file. I have tons of you know, multi-track psyches, the virtual sound check. And I, my mixing skills have improved tremendously simply because that allows me to spend more time doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I I absolutely don't want to be like, you know, just do it for the experience, do it for the exposure. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that I made a choice to accept a lower rate, a much lower rate, because the benefit for me and having this guaranteed couple hours of mix time every week was enormous. Same. And so I just think that's a factor. That's all I want to say. That's what I do at church, dude. Yeah. I mean, for real, just to get on a desk every week, be on a stage every week. Um, exactly. Yep. Different situations. You have to, you know. So speaking of which, before we, if we we're going to attempt to talk post-COVID, let's, let's touch on the ter- church topic for a second. Um, I, I'll just give my my two cents of my experience, you know, purely my market and the type of church that I've, I've worked in. So, you know, I grew up initially, you know, as a kid, teenager, and, and even just post-teenager, 100% um, volunteer-based. And I would venture to guess, Potter, you probably have better numbers on this, 80-some percent of techs working in churches are probably volunteer-based. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then, you know... You know, in the current church that I'm at now, um, you know, they they're offering to pay, you know, some money. And, you know, the time commitment is like a Thursday night rehearsal for a couple hours. And we happen to do a Sunday morning um, 
we do three services on Sunday morning. So you're there at like, I don't know, 6 a.m. to to 1 p.m., you know. And, you know, the rate that I'm getting there is nothing. I negotiated with Peerless said, hey, here's what we've budgeted. We can allow for this. It is what it is. And, like, I am totally cool with that because I would be doing it regardless of whether I get paid or not. Now, I know there are people who are full-time staffers. and I don't even think we're talking about that direction of, of church money here. I'm talking about more of the weekend warriors, you know, like Kyle and, and me who are, like, either every now and then or every weekend kind of just, you know, pick up a few bucks. Um, I mean – if I were to compare that to the actual hours I'm working, it would make no sense. Um, and I, in fact, for a period of time, I actually told them to just not pay me because I felt guilty almost of them paying me. And they're like, no, 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 we have to maintain a budget. We have to establish this because it has to keep an <laughs> equal playing field. We're going to pay you whether you want or not. If you want to, if you want to put it right back on the tithe, you know, thing, go go for it. <laughs> but but we're going to we're going to pay you. Um, and I'm like, okay, fine, you know. Uh, but I don't look at that work, and this goes back to I want to you know give back, and then yes, it does help you know compensate for my. My time a little bit so mm-hmm. um kyle what's your experience in the church world uh depends so you know mega churches was a salary thing there was definitely some regulations to getting in you know uh to get the full-time position uh not many like you said 80 percent of the people are volunteers so not many ha- had a paid position um now i just have a day rate and what i do is i donate uh a portion of my proceeds right back to the church every week. Um, right now, COVID situation. And, that, and, that, and that's your choice or did the church automatically deduct it? Oh, uh, that's my choice. But the the lead engineer there, the production manager for the house, basically told them um, what we were doing. And, and he explained it to them that where I was coming from. So... I, I took on a lot more responsibilities too because I felt bad for the rate. So uh, I'm helping out on stage, stage managing. Now I'm I'm doing their broadcast mix on COVID styles, Wednesday night rehearsals, um, some post production at home, and I don't rarely charge. I'll charge by the hour for that, and it's a cheaper rate, you know, just so they get it. Because I I noticed the growing pains on the other side of it. You know, we have a few people in our video department that are not full on employees. They've just been going to the church since their grandma did years and years and years before. So they're like third generation people that are working at the church now. So um, we help them out with video. I just try to assist more than mixing, walking in and mixing and leaving. You know, it's something more to me as well. I, I want to throw one caveat. I apologize on the level of of show or level of service that I, at least I'm experiencing that I'm getting paid for. Right? Uh, if you're walking up to you know a powered mixer um, and a single lectern, I, I don't expect most of those people to be getting you know paid money. But we're talking we're talking um, a you know like a non denominational or mega church style thing. You know where we're talking uh you know full band inputs lights production video production like basically you know a concert happens to be in a house of worship building there's a level of expectation of quality that's the type of work that you're physically getting paid for i just wanted to set that groundwork there i'm uh, willing to throw out some numbers uh unless michael you had something to say well i I actually wanted to talk to you about this because i know you've done a ton of house of worship stuff and you head up you know, you, you edit Church Sound Magazine, and you you the, the one of the instructors for Church Sound University. So you're very much in this world, right? Church, and, church Sound Podcast. And, don't forget. Oh yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, uh, Stream Queen. So, <laughs> and, and you know what? And I was I've been 
since I met Samantha almost, I called her Potter from like week one and yep. I've known her for like three years now. And so I always fight to not call her that when we're on the podcast, it's but okay. uh, Chris, you did it. So I'm well, done you know what? So. I did it because of you. It's osmosis. <laughs> you, you've worn it off on me. So, so Potter, um, <laughs> I, I want to know your experience with this because, you know, obviously, like Chris said, the church thing runs such a huge gamut. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really hard to make general statements, but I have noticed that more, more in the house of worship world than anywhere else in our industry, there's a bigger, bigger, bigger disconnect between like the quality and the price tag of the equipment and the size of the production and what the people are being paid. Yeah. Um, it, there's this huge gap. And, and I, I understand that for a lot of people, like Chris said, it's a volunteer thing. It's, 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 uh, or like I was talking about, um, this is service. This is how they view their way to participate in their community, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about I have encountered in some house of worship circumstances. Uh, you know, my experience has been that there's often um, an expectation of a very, very high level professional service that they want to be delivered, but there's not the expectation to pay for that. Yeah. Um, they, they, um, a lot of times it's about how much can we get without, without having to pay. Uh, in my experience, the pay is greatly determined upon the cap of the sanctuary. Uh, so like if it's a, four, you know, like you would, you know, any club or anything like that. Um, let me think. So back when I started doing church stuff, probably seven or seven or eight years ago, I started, some of my work was volunteer and some of it, I was getting paid $10 an hour and I was happy for it. Um, like you know, within like a year that rose to like $14 an hour. Um, and now in the, maybe in the last few years, um, I've seen, and people should, regardless of where they you know live. And again, I live in Kansas city, which is like a small, big city. So, um, it, you know, a decent sized medium city. Um, is it a little big town? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, <laughs> 15 to $20 an hour would be super normal around here for the most part. Uh, if you have a decent amount of experience, uh, 20 or $25 should be your bottom. Um, I usually aim depending on the size of the church and like if I, if they're friends of mine or something like that, you know, I might go $35 an hour or $30 an hour. It just sort of depends. Some churches will do, you know, a hundred dollars for four hours. And, and, you know, that ends up being 25 bucks an hour in, but really even just outside of the hourly stuff, if you can get a job at a church, like a salaried or a full-time job, uh, it's like a sweet gig. It's not the highest paying, but you get a ton of benefits and uh, it's just not cutthroat. And I really enjoyed that for several years. And you're typically, not to butt it, but if you're going full-time at a house of worship, you're typically not there to chase the money. Oh, yeah. No. And that's how, what I, my experience with people that have been work, uh, work there and all of the people I know in the area that work for like either medium sized or very large churches, their audio people, if they made 50 grand a year, I would be surprised. It's probably hovering between like 30 and 50, depending on your the position title. So is there, and I know you can't speak in general terms, but at least in your experience, has there been, when you're working semi-regularly with the house of worship, has there been a system in place or some sort of review process where you, you know, you sit down once a year and you go, yeah, okay, you know, I've worked here for X amount of time now and everyone seems happy. Is there, is there a, 
you know, does that rate go up over time? Is there ever a just kind of a check in on that? Yeah, on my on my contracting stuff. Yes, it's like every year it's like, okay, we have especially if it's someplace I work at really frequently, we'll have a meeting and say, hey, how are things going? We'll do a check in and then we'll talk about the new rate. And it usually went up by like, you know, a dollar or two a year. Um, The but by the time you get on staff, if you're lucky, you'll have like merit raises or at the very least like a cost of living raise, which would be like at least three percent every year. But I can't uh, stress enough the the benefits, the the paid time off, the health insurance cost, the uh, and the culture and things like that, because that does and that that racks up. Well, that's I think that's, I think that's a big theme from everything that everyone has talked about so far in this episode is if you're just looking at a dollar amount and you're ignoring all the context, yeah. uh, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble, yeah. you yeah. know. Um, and and I think I think we would all we could all share experiences. I, I've had clients where. If I asked for for two hundred and fifty dollars for a show, they couldn't afford it. And I've also had clients where I asked for a thousand dollars for the day, and they didn't blink, and they said fine. Yeah. So there's just you know there's just such a huge range of context um, that that I think you know I think that the cherry on top really is is what Willis said over and over again, and what what Chris said over and over again, which is have a dialogue, have a conversation, right? Just just don't. You know, this all all of this gets easier with good communication. Yeah, a conversation with uh, not only the people who employ you or who you employ, but also your peers and colleagues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have that transparency. Samantha, you and I have done that. You and I have done that for years now. Oh yeah, you just know, periodically check in, like, hey, I'm about, thinking about yeah. asking for more money. What's going on in your world? Like things like that. Yeah, and that's and and I think oftentimes, you know, we we've talked on the phone for two three hours at a time when one of us was talking about changing career paths or moving to a different company mm-hmm. or whatever. And and I think, I think just going through it with another person who yeah. kind of knows what you're dealing with and understands the variables. I mean, I know that, that our conversations have been helpful for me, you know? Oh yeah. And same. So in case you needed to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. It's our conversations have helped me greatly over the years. I know, I know. Signal the number two noise podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so do we you know uh we, it's funny we, we said to each other going into this you know typically our episodes are around an hour i i said hey we're not cutting us off at, the, at an hour just for the sake of cutting us off um do we vent do we dare venture into post COVID? because i feel like it could be a long conversation do we want this to be a second a whole nother conversation i i want to get more emails and stuff about it we had really good reaction to the money question yeah. period so, so I, I, I say we I say we separate this um, and do a post COVID conversation and tee up people's thoughts on what that looks like. If you guys are cool with that, just because yeah, that, I think it's that, a completely different topic. That way I can see how my job works out with you and I can get a GoFundMe ready. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I think the theme here of communication, it, you know, like Samantha and I were just talking about Potter and I were just talking about, haha. Um, <laughs> you know, it. This is not supposed to be a one-way thing, you know. I don't, you know. I can. I know. I speak for for Chris and Kyle. Like, we're not just talking into these microphones so we can splat it out on the internet. I mean, like, we want to have this dialogue. We want to have this community. So, like, um, the the thoughts and the comments that that came in via email about this topic um, were really thought provoking and really helped me kind of reason through a lot of this stuff. So, you know, anyone who's listening who has thoughts on these topics, like, please do. Send them in to email, put them on the Facebook group, whatever you do. I mean, I, I really am interested in everybody's thoughts on this. 
yeah of all the formats like we've had great response just to put these questions up we're also getting some great responses from the should you be called an engineer question and i yes. think uh robert scoville won that one. Oh, um, i didn't see that yeah. oh yeah i haven't read his yet yep so make sure that you oh, guys we had a are scove uh, drive by that's awesome yeah rare but um a sighting we had a scove sighting yeah <laughs> and you know what we should also say shout out to jeremy spear yeah. Congratulations, Jeremy! You Congratulations. you won the uh, you had the winning submission for the scholarship for uh, Michelle Petnato's uh, Listen online EQ course. So that's cool. Congratulations! We hope you enjoy it, man. Kyle Turnside. Uh, that's me. Yeah, that's you, buddy. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I do want to say thank you to Will and Samantha for uh, Will and Potter for for, for joining <laughs> us on this and and bringing those you know, those different perspectives to the table. And I just, I think one thing I hope that listeners will take away is, is how different all the five of us, we've had really, really different career paths and, and really, really different, you know, contexts that, that we work in. Um, and, and I just think just kind of reflect on that, you know what I mean? There's, there's all these different things out there and, and just, you know, it's, it's some really nice uh, kind of food for thought on how we're all out there doing what we love and we're all doing completely different things. Yeah, and we didn't even touch like there's so many uh, other ventures within audio, whether it's broadcast, field recording, like you know, re- recording. Like so, obviously, we this is I should have put that in the disclaimer. This is all in the context of pretty much live sound in some corporate, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, there's obviously this may not apply to many other parts of the audio industry. Hey man, I push this AV cart into the ballroom too every day, bro. It's got an overhead projector, six hundred dollars a day. <laughs> Just I wish. I need that gig. I need that gig right now. Mm.